If you have your Bibles, please open to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 is going to be the passage for us this morning. We're going to look from Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 10 to 17. But before I start, I would like to say happy Father's Day to all of you that are fathers here. Or if you don't have children, you probably do have a father, so be sure to contact them and or just do something nice to them. And again, this self is a conflict of interest here because I'm a dad and I feel like Father's Day is like having another birthday. It reminds me of how old I am. <laughs> but happy Father's Day to you and also welcome Antioch, Orlando. We're glad that you are here and we'll be praying for you guys as you guys are going around the city and we hope that the Lord will use you mightily to bring people to saving faith. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 10 to 17. I'd like to read for us, the text this morning, before I begin preaching through it, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 10. So then I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This, too, is futility, because a sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. This, there is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say this too is futility. So I commend it pleasure. For there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover, and though the wise man should say, I know he cannot discover. It is quite fascinating in our day and age that we live in a time where people are so obsessed with our truth. They look at the world and they believe that the world operates off of what they believe is right and wrong. And yet at the same time, they hold to this view of the supremacy of your own desires and your own morality and they're also obsessed with justice. But they don't realize that these two are antithetical to one another. One cannot expect to do what is right in your own eyes, to have your own opinion on what morality is, and at the same time have a clear understanding of what justice is. Because they're two completely separate things. For one person, they might look at a situation and think, well, that is completely just. And at the same time, another can look at the same situation and think, that is unjust. 
True justice, however, is based on truth and is not based on our own opinion, is not based on our own feeling, is not based on what we believe is true. And these two are against one another. Either your truth is true and you can judge things rationally, truthfully, and justly, or your truth is a lie and you will not be able to judge situations truthfully, rationally, and justly. If you lose truth, then you will lose justice as well. Any society to try to operate with that idea that you can do whatever you want will inevitably have consequences and casualties. Crime will always increase when truth is abandoned. This subjective idea of truth will bring an end to a culture. And Solomon here is addressing that. He's addressing all of the injustice that we've seen in the world. How do we cope with it? How do we live under the sun knowing that there are those that can get away with evil? The book of Ecclesiastes is is really a a finding of all of Solomon's uh, quest throughout his life. Solomon was the king of Israel. He was the one that ruled, and I think arguably the best king until the Lord Jesus comes. And Solomon was unique. He had these, this unique ability to discern right and wrong. God gave him that gift so that he can rule Israel faithfully. But we know that he failed. We know that he, although he had so much power and prestige and abilities, he ended up giving himself into sin. And for the longest time, if you read the book of First Kings, you wonder, will Solomon ever repent? Because of all of this heart being turned away to all these pagan gods and women, you would think that he's probably not a believer. But I think Ecclesiastes is, is that awakening that when he realizes the life that he wasted. And he's trying to teach the people of Israel, all of his findings, that life in this world is completely meaningless if you live life without God. This very short life that we have here on earth can be spent either worshiping God or wasting it fleeing from the Lord. And at the end, this entire book, the summation of everything that Solomon has discovered is that you need to fear the Lord. This life is completely empty without God. In chapter 1, Solomon talks about how there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that we've experienced, all the things that's created, any idea, these things have been there before. Solomon tried to find something new, and he just, he just deduced and discovered that there is indeed nothing new under the sun. And it's a lesson for us that we think we're radical in our thinking and that we're revolutionary in our ideas. We have to understand that there is nothing new under the sun. So you try to build your identity and your hope and your joy and happiness, happiness on those things, you'll find that you will be disappointed. Chapter 2, Solomon talks about the pleasures and the possessions that he has in this life. He was able to buy everything. He was able to enjoy every pleasure under the sun. He felt completely empty because without God, there is no meaning in any of these pleasures and possessions. Chapter 3 is Solomon talks about time and how life swings from one extreme to the other, like a pendulum from one end to the other. We'll go through seasons of good times and bad times. And this idea that we're confounded in this reality of time is supposed to make us Think about the eternity that's written in our hearts. That God has placed this notion, this, this, this feeling that life goes beyond this life. And the point of that is to show us that we need to fear God. That one day we will meet our maker. 
chapter 4, talk about how life is indeed difficult. And one way you can cope with life is to have people in your life. It's better to have more than one so you can not only suffer together, but be comforted by other people. Chapter 5, Solomon begins to show and reveal what, how we're supposed to conduct ourselves when we're worshiping the Lord. That when we go to the temple or we go into the sanctuary, we shouldn't talk too much. Rather, we should be silent and worship Him with a reverential heart. Chapter 6 talks about how even if you have the ability to enjoy life, the reason why you have that ability, the reason why you have those senses is because God has given those things to you. And the fact that you may not be able to sense and enjoy life is because God has somehow restrained that. He kept that from you. So in order for you to truly find happiness, it must come from God and God alone. Chapter 7, Solomon gives some practical advice about choosing what's better in this life. And one of the things that he says is that it's better to be in a house of mourning than to be in a house of, of, of happy and feasting. Because in those houses of mourning, in the things that's difficult in life, you're forced to come to grips with reality. You're forced to deal and think clearly about what's going on in the world. And that's what will point you to the only thing that you need to do, and that is to fear God. Last time I preached in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, this, the beginning part is about why we need to submit to the government, why we need to submit to worldly rulers. Even though these rulers are corrupted and broken, we are called to submit ultimately to the Lord. And we understand that even wicked rulers are placed in the position they're in because God has placed them there. And in our trust in the Lord, we know that God can even use wicked people for our good and for his glory. Now in the end of the middle and the end of chapter 8, he switches the audience and talks to us about not the government anymore, but what about the citizens? What about the people that you live with? What about your neighbors? What if these people that are all around you are corrupt? Rulers may be overthrown or voted out, but what if the individual, the citizens, are wicked and corrupt? How are we supposed to deal with it when Everyone around us is committing such seemingly great sins. Again, the point of this book is that you're supposed to look at life and relative to eternity. And knowing that reality, you're supposed to fear the Lord. And I think this section helps us. When we look at the news, when we read a newspaper, we see all of these different atrocities that's committed by other human beings. This passage here gives us some tools to help us think through these things. That's, what's, that's, that's going to be our outline this morning. How, do Sol, how does Solomon view evil? And, when he, and what he's going to teach us, it shows us what evil is about so that we can cope and live in this fallen world. The first point in our outline this morning is that evil will seemingly escape. Evil will seemingly escape. Verse 10 to 13. Verse 10, it says, So then I've seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten to see what they did thus. This, too, is futility. It's unknown whether or not this person that Solomon is talking about is an actual person that he's, he's like, seen, have seen in the past in a funeral, someone he's made up, or someone he's just heard of, because it doesn't specify. But he is talking about this person at their own funeral, He's talking about how this person is now dead, but there are, he, this person, when he was alive, committed a tremendous amount of sin, and it seems like he got away with it. He knows, Solomon somehow is aware that this person, in his lifetime, have committed a whole bunch of atrocities against other people. And this wicked person has done a tremendous amount of evil in the world, 
and it seems like he escaped it because of death. Now, depending on your translation, verse 10 might look a little bit different because in the ESV, instead of using the word forgotten, it uses the word praises in the city. And the NASV or the Legacy Standard Bible uses the word forgotten. And I think the reason why the ESV people translated that is because they believed, at least the translators believed that, you know, sometimes when, even in funerals, in times where people are dead, even that, though this person may be evil and have done a tremendous amount of things, there's, amount, there's bound to be at least one person that will say something nice. You know, oh yeah, they might have done all these bad things, but you know, he helped me cross the street once. That's good. You know, they're... they're in, in every situation, in every funeral, there's bound to be at least one person that does a eulogy that will say something kind about that person. I think that's why the ESV people translate that. But even in the margin, it will say we're forgotten as well. Now, I, I believe that the word forgotten here in the NES is more, it, it, it's better translation, is more accurately represents what's going on. I think in the context of the rest of the, this section, because there are people that's going to get away with all the heinous acts in their life. They're not going to be punished for the things they've done because they were able to escape through death. And Solomon speaks of this person as someone that used to go in and out of the holy place. And that implies that this person is a religious person. It's unknown whether or not this person was a Yahweh worshiper, and partially because Solomon himself, <coughs> although he was designated by God to build the temple of the Lord, he did also help establish other pagan religions because all the wives that he had, they, he, his heart was turned away. He helped them build idols. So it's unknown whether or not this person was a Yahweh worshiper or, elite, or some sort of a pagan god worshiper, but the point is that this person is or was a religious person. And I like to think that this person was somehow a follower of Yahweh, but yet he thought that going in and out of the holy place, that he can get away with it, that God will not know all the sin that he's committed. Because he, in his own foolishness and his own sinfulness, he thought that as long as he had religion, that he could commit all the other secret sins in his life. And Solomon addresses this issue. Notice verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to evil. Solomon is showing this, this kind of injustice that goes on in the world. There are people that seem to get away with punishment. They escape the consequences for the wickedness that they've done. And sometimes those actions are supposed to be checked by the government or the police, and they're not. And the result of that is that evil gets away. The result of this delayed response to evil makes it easier for evil people to, to commit more evil. This is basically the Old Testament idea of being soft on crime. There's an axiom that says, <coughs> excuse me, that the wheel of justice spins slowly. And this means that the people who commit evil atrocities sometimes will experience the legal weight at a very slow pace. And one of the sad realities of this slow justice is that criminals will see this and think, well, if the punishment is going to be so delayed or it's not going to be as strong, then they could just do whatever they want. They're not going to rethink their actions. This means that people are not afraid of the legal system because there's always the possibility that they can get away, that their crime can be unnoticed. Don't be disheartened when justice doesn't come. And this is particularly relevant to us here in San Francisco 
Because it was not that long ago, it was only a few weeks ago that our DA was recalled from his position. And the reason why he was recalled was because he was soft on crime. Many people have suffered because of it, and people who I think is fascinating that who claim to be soft on crime clearly have not lived amongst the people, or they haven't read Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Either way, I think it's both for some, but criminals are are reacting exactly how God's word has described them. Again, this isn't some sort of political statement. I'm not saying now you all need to vote for a candidate that's strong and hard on crime. This isn't that, because Solomon isn't saying that. In fact, Solomon was king. He was the one that's ruling over the people. He's the one that's that's supposed to judge over the things that are right and wrong. And even under his rule, even under his control, there is still evil that slips by him. And how is it possible How is it possible that Solomon, the king that is so wise, how can this happen under his watch? You have to understand that Solomon is just one man. I would imagine Solomon being a wise king probably delegated some of the lower and smaller issues to other judges to take and rule because he cannot be in multiple places at once. And those people he appoints, although he appointed them, it's possible that these people are not as insightful or as wise as Solomon Solomon probably only did the major issues. And even then, he's only one guy. By the time that he re- a certain case reaches to him, it might have been resolved, or the crime itself is, is done away with, and there's nothing that he can do about it. Solomon sees all this. He knows his own limitation, and he knows that there is always a possibility that evil escapes. And when evil sneaks through the cracks, even under his own watch, Evil people are emboldened to do more evil acts. And you'll notice at the end of verse 11, it says they are given fully to do evil. This word given fully, it's, it's, this, it's the idea of, it's the same word that's used to describe a pregnant woman. That after X amount of time, nine to ten months, are ready to give birth. That's the same word that's used here. That they're fully given into their evil. And that means that when sin, when they are left unchecked, it will continue to grow and mature. And when sin gets to a certain point of development, it will cause havoc and death. Any culture that allows sin will find that it will bring itself to its own ruins. Chapter 12, I mean, verse 12, although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may light, lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God and who fear him openly. Solomon is trying to go against uh, anyone who believes that they should just live however they want them. If evil can just go unchecked and do whatever they want and they seem to be able to thrive, then why won't I just do evil as well? And Solomon is trying to warn against that. It may seem that doing evil is fun and pleasurable, and they even seem like they live longer. But Solomon's warning them, it's better for you to live under the fear of the Lord. Not only fear of the Lord in your private time or in time at church or in the time when you're worshiping him, but you're supposed to fear him openly. Solomon is warning people about thinking that they should just give their life into sin. Why is that? Because one day, both the righteous and the wicked will have to stand before the Lord. And a true believer is fully aware of the fact that God knows all things and that God is everywhere. And, he, and that causes him to fear God. Not only fear God, again, in his private life, but openly as well. Meaning that the believer lives drastically differently from those that are non-believers. The wicked person lives 
with their sin open and without any fear because they in their mind have believed and resolved that there is no God. But yet we know that God sees us like an open book. The righteous is not concerned about the corrupted and evil world. He, does, he sees their prosperity and all the happiness that they seem to enjoy. But what he cares most about is to live under the audience of one, and that is God alone. The wicked is fully convinced that he has gotten away with all of the evil they've done. What shows the world that we are a follower of God is that we live differently, that we fear him openly. There must be this reverential awe and fear for the Lord. Even though we live in a fallen world that promotes sin, we cannot fear the people in the world or fear the consequences of calling out sin. We're called to live fearing God openly. So let me ask you, some of you who are living and um, working in a secular environment or going to a school, what is your reputation like amongst those around you? Do they see you as someone that actually fears God, or are you just like one of them? What does fearing God openly look like? You just think about the conversations that you have with your coworkers or your classmates or your neighbors. Are there times where you see yourself laughing and joking about the things that God finds offensive? Are you passive when the world is promoting a certain sin and lifestyle? As Christians, we're called to live with integrity, and we need to live this integrity with consistency. We don't love the things that the world loves. In fact, we hate those things, and we call those things out. And the things that the world hates, especially when it pertains to God and his word, these are things that we need to cherish with our lives. We need to fear God openly. Look at verse 13. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. The evil will not be able to get away with anything. Although it may seem like that in the moment, in the long term, in all of eternity, they will not be able to escape. The evil person may do a lot of evil, and they may even do well in this life, but it will not end well for him. Evil will seemingly prevail in this life, but it will not prevail forever. Again, some of you are like this person. Because remember, the person that Solomon is talking about is someone that goes in and out of the holy place. Never mind the people outside of the church. Yes, we, as, we know that they're going to act a certain way. The caution here are those that are in the worship hall. These are the ones that claim to follow Jesus Christ, who come to church on Sunday, who goes to the Bible study, who learns about the Bible, and they do all the seemingly religious things. But when they leave church on Sunday, when they go about their day, they compartmentalize and they live a hypocritical lifestyle. That shows that you do not have a fear of the Lord. And you may think, just because I go to church and I'm not being punished for my sins now, and all the things I've done, all the evil that I'm keeping deep in my own heart, I'm getting away with, that that means that God has let you go. But you have to understand that that is not the case. Solomon is warning against that perception. Living like that will not go well for you. Your sin will not escape. Your sin will find you out. God's grace and God's mercy, it is, a, it is an abundance, but it is not infinite. There will be a time in all of time where God will say, enough, and he will remove his grace, and he will remove his mercy, and the only thing that's coming for you who are living a double life is his wrath, because your sin will be exposed. 
It will not end well for you. And on that day, those of you who are truly fearing the Lord, you'll be rewarded for your faithfulness. But the wicked ones, especially the ones that try to hide their secret sin, you will be judged for it. Just because God doesn't judge your evil now doesn't mean that God won't judge it one day. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And we know that good guys may not always win in this life, but bad guys will go to hell. Not only does evil seemingly escape in this life, but secondly, evil seemingly will not stop in this life as well. Solomon tried to show us that our second point, evil will seemingly won't stop. There doesn't seem to be an end to evil. Verse 14, there is futility which is done on earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. Solomon's observation of some of the injustice that goes on in this world is that there are some wicked people that will have the results of a righteous person. And there are some righteous people that are suffering that should rightfully deserve, be deserved for the ones that are, that are wicked. Everything just seems so backwards in a fallen world. Righteous here does not mean moral perfection. But it just means that the trajectory of his life, that generally speaking, he is living in accordance to God's word. That the totality of his life you can summarize as someone that fears the Lord and lives uprightly. But yet, this upright person is brought down. On the other hand, the wicked people, they're obviously sinning against God, but yet they seem to live such comfortable lives. The bad people are treated like good people, and the good people are treated like bad people. Don't be deceived by the reality that good people will always win in this life. Some of the most Faithful people in this world are going to suffer a tremendous amount of loss while the wicked people seem to live long and prosperous lives. There are those in the world right now who are promoting and committing and peddling sin in our culture, and they are perfectly fine while there are other saints who are faithfully living for God who are suffering and starving. There are wicked people who are living comfortably and consistently taunt their maker while the faithful saint is suffering because they're praising their maker. Some of you students here, you understand. You could be studying tirelessly, doing all-nighters and memorizing all the things you need to do for your exam. And despite all your best effort, you might just get a C while the lazy sinner somehow wiggles his way, whether he cheats or finds some sort of back, uh, backdoor way, he still gets an A. Some of you Christians are hardworking, and you may never get that promotion. You may never get that raise, and your work may be overlooked while the wicked person, because maybe he's more charming, because he's more interesting, because he has connections. He's the one that, that, that gets the raise and the status. Virtue is not always rewarded in this life. This is just part of living life in a fallen world. But these things will not last. Corruption exists in many forms. And one of the ways corruption is shown is that good people or righteous people are the ones that are suffering. Yet Solomon, at the very end, concludes that this is all vain. He's not saying live wickedly so then you can live a prosperous life. And he's not saying just suffer uh, for the sake of suffering. 
He's just pointing out the reality of life, that life in a fallen world is particularly difficult for those who are righteous. This is just what life is like in a fallen world. The evil seems to not end. They seem to get away with everything. But how are we supposed to cope with this? How are we supposed to cope with that reality? Look at verse 15. It says, So I commended pleasure. Well, there's nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. It seems that Solomon is almost encouraging some sort of escapism. Since the world is filled with wickedness and you see all this injustice in the world, what are you supposed to do about it? And Solomon just says, just enjoy life. Enjoy what little your life has. Enjoy the simple things. This life is filled with unpleasant moments. So when you find those little moments where you get to enjoy life, enjoy it. Every little ounce of it, whether it's a little food or drink, just enjoy life. Why is Solomon prescribing this? And the point is that in this fallen world, there, is, there will never be a time where there's going to be perfect justice. If you try to find meaning in trying to overthrow all the injustices in this world, it's completely vanity, and it will frustrate you. So whatever, whatever little life you have and whatever little good things you have in your life, enjoy those moments. Again, this seems super offensive to those who are suffering, but this is what Solomon prescribes. He said you can't find fulfillment in justice anyways. You cannot appoint a leader or a ruler that can govern everything well. So enjoy your life. So he's giving these two options, whether you wallow in self-pity and sadness because of how, in, how unjust the world is, or you accept that reality, you know that the world is filled with sin and, and, and it's filled with injustice, and just enjoy the life that God has given you. And he's saying, just find, choose the second option. Even though life is hard, find something to enjoy. Again, Solomon is just saying that it's a very vain endeavor to try to find perfect justice in this world because you will not, because sin and evil will always be around in a fallen world. Reality bites. So go find a cheeseburger and bite it. <laughs> Don't be sour about how broken the system is. Rather, go find a sour gummy bear and eat that. Don't be bitter, but find something sweet. Tough times will come, and try to find the little joys in your life. And again, this is a command by Solomon, who is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, to give us this counsel. Enjoy the life that God has given you. However little it may be, enjoy it, because this life is going to end soon anyway. This is all that this life has to offer. And the best thing for you to do in a world filled with so much injustice is just to enjoy the simple things in life. So in this life, don't look for justice, but look for enjoyment that God has given you through his grace. He gives us things to tolerate and to put up with in this fallen world. Again, obviously Solomon is not saying indulge in any sin because he has experienced that firsthand in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He's done all of those things and he found that it was completely vain. Rather, do the things that God has given you, the good things. Enjoy those things. In a broken world, find the grace gift that God has given to you and then result, and the result should be that you should fear him. If you know that you can't deal with injustice in this world, Solomon just says, enjoy the life that you have. If justice was what you think will make you happy, you will find that it will never come, and justice 
will never come because evil will seemingly never end. So enjoy what God has given you in this life. Eat your favorite food, drink your favorite drink, enjoy the company that God has given you. You don't deserve any of these things, but God has given it to you, so enjoy it while it lasts. A few months ago, um, the, uh, you know that our country has uh, you know, pulled out all of these soldiers in Afghanistan. And one particular story struck me because there's this one soldier. Uh, he, he was part of this operation where he tried to get all of these refugees out of Afghanistan. He would bring them to different countries. He would pile them all on a plane to fly out to some other country that's willing to receive them. And one particular place where he landed, he saw this grandmother just kind of brushing the ground just with a little broom. And then he next to uh, this, his grandmother, this grandmother is his grandchild, and he was just playing with these little sticks. And he thought it was, it was little airplanes, and he was having the time of his life. Even though this kid had just lost his home, lost his family, lost his friend, lost his nation, somehow in the moment those things did not matter because those little sticks have brought him a tremendous amount of happiness and bliss. And that's essentially what Solomon is trying to get at. Solomon is trying to get at whatever small thing that you can enjoy in your life, enjoy it. Because this life is short and it will not last. And in this ride, enjoy the life that God has given you. Evil seemingly escapes. Evil seemingly never ends. And our third point for us this morning is that evil seemingly won't be answered. There's this mystery to evil. Solomon is, tells us that there's, there's just some things in life that we will not be able to answer. Look at verse 16. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, the sun never sets on what God is doing in the lives of the righteous and the wicked. Solomon is trying to figure out why this world is so broken. And if there's anyone that can do it, it should be Solomon, because Solomon was gifted with such an ability, a unique mind to be able to discern the things of the world. And he concludes that you can't find it. You, you can't know the hand of God. A person can spend their entire life searching for understanding and trying to understand, make connections of why people will do evil things. And in the end, they will fail. A person can exhaust themselves and even try not sleeping to try to figure out everything that's going on in the world. He pulling complete all-nighters on a regular basis to try to understand the mystery of evil, and they will not find it. They will die trying. Psalms describes this pursuit of the understanding of the problem of injustice in the world, and it seems like there is no answer. There are people that spend hours of time just investing and trying to figure out why would people do bad things and they will end up just wasting their time look at verse 17 and i saw every work of god i conclude that man cannot discover the work <coughs> excuse me the work which has been done under the sun even though man should seek laboriously he will not discover and though the wise man should say should say i know he cannot discover even with everyone in the world, if everyone on earth decide to unite to find and solve this puzzle, they will not be able to solve it. And Solomon has used all of his giftedness, all of his ability to try to figure out and know the hand of God, and he can't do it. Ultimately, every question about the meaning of human action is always a question about what God is doing. And perhaps that is some of you here today. You might have gone through some tremendous act of injustice. You might have been hurt by others. You've been hurt by loved ones. Uh, you may have been um, under some sort of oppression or in 
or injustice in your life, and you're wondering, why did this happen to me? You look back in your life, you sit and you ponder, try to figure out every little detail. Is it because I made this one bad decision or is it that bad decision? I should have done this. You may, you may think about this over and over again and you'll just exhaust yourself because you will not be able to find the answer to the question. Solomon is saying, you will never know sometimes. And sometimes in a fallen world, the biggest difficulties in this life is to accept the reality that you will never know that is what's so terrifying and frustrating about trying to understand evil in a fallen world. God will intentionally not show you his hand because he doesn't want you to know why. We're only called to do one thing, and that is to keep our eyes on him. It's to look to him. No one can fully understand why evil happens, only that it does, and that God is in sovereign control over all things. Mankind can never have any mastery over the created world, and evil is one of those things. Solomon's thesis throughout this entire book is that you must first and foremost fear the Lord. Evil will seemingly be elusive, but God can be found. The answer to why evil happens is not going to be satisfactory if the answer does not lead you to worshiping God himself. We're not called to know the why. The only thing we're called to do is to trust and believe that God is all-wise and all-knowing, who understands the human condition and can change the human hearts. The only one who is truly sovereign will have final say, and he is the one that we are to look to. The mystery of God's justice cannot be discovered in this world. You will not be able to figure that out in this life because we do not have the wisdom or the capacity to do so. Justice does not work out in the way that we want to in this world. The answer to the problem of evil is not why or that we need to somehow go on these odysseys and journeys to figure out, to find a resolution. The only path that injustice should lead us is not to a clue, but to who. Oftentimes, we want to know the details on an explanation of why this happened to me. Is it because of the politics in the world? Is it because of the criminal in the world, all the crime that's happening? Those answers may give you some relief, but it will not be satisfying because in this world, there will never be perfect justice in this life. God only commands us to fear him, to trust in him, and know that every evil act will be done one day. He commands us to look to him whose eyes are on all things and know that he knows that God is the one that knows when and how to enact perfect justice. The evils in this world will not make sense until we enter into eternity. It is only then will things will become more clear to us. You may be wondering about all that you've read in Solomon's writing here about injustice, and you might think, that is not fair. And the Solomon's point is that, yes, it is not fair, but this is how a fallen world is. His point is that you will not find that in this life. You need to look to God. If we were all to be completely honest with ourselves, we must realize the fact that we have life to some other person is injustice, is not fair. We have all sinned against this holy and good God, yet every single day that God allows us to live is, a fact, is, a, is in fact an act of divine mercy. It is because of God's mercy towards us sinners that sinners should never complain about the, all the injustice in the world because we are the recipients of the greatest injustice in the world. Not one of us, if we truly want justice, will be able to stand because all of us have fallen short. All of us have sinned against the Lord. Not one of us deserves 
anything good from God. All of us have sinned against him, but the greatest injustice is not what happens to us. It's not what happens to the little children in the world. It's not what happens to other people in other countries, but the greatest act of injustice happened to our Savior. That is true injustice. The fact that this holy and good God who would come into the world and live a perfect life for us to die for imperfect sinners. We're not called to try to find the mysteries of evil, but rather the mystery of the cross. The greatest mystery is that why would God die for me? At the most basic level, we understand that the world is broken because of Adam's sin. But an even greater mystery is why would God love us? Why would God show us any kindness knowing how evil and wicked we are? If we were to look at all of the injustices in the world, and yes, there are many, understand that the, this all pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ himself experienced. No matter how bad things are, no matter how many innocent people and their lives are taken, understand that Jesus Christ has went through worse. Remember how depressing it is seeing people that are, that are kicked out of their homes. We must understand that even those people, from the most in, childlike to the elderly, every single one of us are sinners. In, in every crisis, in every crime, it is one sinner committing a crime against another sinner. There is none righteous. The only one that is righteous is Jesus Christ, and he suffered on the cross on our behalf so that we can obtain eternal life with him. That is the greatest mystery that we need to ponder and think about in a fallen world. This world will have a lot of conundrums and that we cannot solve. But the only thing that will make sense is knowing that God is in control. And we need to look to him. And we need to worship him. We need to conclude like how Solomon concludes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to everyone. And for some of you today, you might be trying to, you might be in distress because you don't know what the future holds because of how bad this world has become. And that's okay. You don't need to resolve those issues. You need to first and foremost trust in the Lord, to lean on him and to look for that day when Christ will come and all injustice will finally be done away with. That is our hope as believers, and that is where we find our security. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for this humbling reminder about evil. You know that we cannot resolve this in his life, but we know that you will one day. Every evil deed you are going to deal with in judgment and in hell. At the same time, we know of our own wretchedness and that all of the sin that we've committed is dealt with on the cross. Lord, we're undeserving of your kindness and goodness to us, but yet you send your son to be the propitiation of our sins, to take, to stand before uh, you and absorb the wrath that we deserve. And Lord, we know this world is broken, but we find our hope in the fact that your son was broken on our behalf. Look, we, lo we look forward to that day, and we ask that you come quickly. We know that once you come, then everything will be made right. And we long for that day, Lord. Help us be faithful, to not be worried or distressed by what we see in the news or even what we experience, but to find our hope in you and in you alone. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.